0: Good morning. Good morning, it's great to be back at this particular podium again, just uh thrill that I can be here today. All right, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 16. You can either turn in your Bibles or on your devices, but don't be Googling stuff while if you're on your device, make sure it's at Mark chapter 16. I sure hope y'all can hang around today afterwards. And looks like we got a perfect day for it to hang around outside and eat and play games. And Mar- Marcus mentioned we were going to have checkers. And we're going to have competitive checkers. So be sure and bring cash with you. <laughs> I've never lost at a game of checkers. The reason being, I've never played checkers. I was joking with the, uh, the uh, Hannah building out in Arlington at student ministry one Wednesday night. I was hanging out in there, and they had a ping pong table, and I love ping pong. And I said, man, I've never lost a ping pong that I know of, and Cameron said, well, let's play. And he beat my brains out. <laughs> I mean, I'm losing like 21 to 4. So I said, I'll just start playing with my grandkids. I do better when <laughs> I play with them. I can usually take them. All right, Mark chapter 16, if you will notice, true to my rep, the top of your handout, everybody have one? Wave it if you do. All right, I hear them even if it's just a piece of paper. The top of your handout, tell me what the title of today's message is. Uh, See, I can get an entire sermon out of two words or sometimes out of a comma. You just never know. Today we're going to go with two words, and I will tell you on the front end. This message is—I this is what I preached Easter Sunday at Arlington, and God so touched me as I was studying for this particular um, message, uh, this particular aspect of what happened that first when Jesus rose from the dead that week and that weekend and following that I just felt like that God wanted me to share it with you. Uh, it was very, again, I've been a believer 53 years. And it was so, how many times have I read the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? How many times have I taught it or preached it? And, and then in looking at this, it just, as I was reading through it, saying, Lord, what do you want me to share this Sunday, this particular year? It was, talk to him about Peter. Talk to him about and Peter. Think about that moment. And I want us to walk through that together. And here's what I want you to do. Because I hope it's so encouraging to you. I want you to put yourself in the sandals of Peter. So whatever your name is, Bob, for the next 30 minutes or so, will be Peter. Jim Cole will be Peter. Marcus will be Peter. And Brother John will be Peter. And Whoever you are. Because I want you to see, number one, and this is really what we're going to focus on. Have you ever failed God? I know I have. Have you ever felt like you were a miserable failure and you wish you could get under the carpet? Amen. So for a few moments, I want us to see how Peter felt. And then realize what Jesus did for him. In the midst of that moment, how Jesus said to him, I need you. You go feed my sheep. You tend my sheep. Do you love me? And Peter wasn't, he didn't even know what to say. Yeah, man, you know I love you. Come on. That's kind of what he said. And Jesus said, all right, we'll get to the commitment part. You go feed my sheep. Did you let me down? We're going to see that, oh, yeah. Not only did he let Jesus down miserably, Jesus knew about it. There's those two words when we get there. And Peter, so encouraging to me. And I'll show you why as we walk through this. Point being, application for us to walk away from this today. As we look at Peter, that weekend Jesus was killed, betrayed, Peter's taking a nap when Jesus said, I need you to watch, pay attention. He fell asleep, and he wasn't the only one. He let Jesus down. He denied Jesus, cursed his name. said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. He let Jesus down miserably, and he knew it. Everybody else knew it. And he was the leader of the group of 11. And when they took Jesus and crucified him and then buried him, they could not have been any lower. Like, I, I guess he wasn't the Messiah after all. I don't know what we're going to do. I guess I'm going to go back fishing. I don't know about y'all. let me see what Jesus did for him. I was reading a pastor named Stephen Cole on this topic, and he said these words. We cannot hide our failures from the risen Savior's gaze. He knows more about us than we know about ourselves. He knows every rotten thought we have before we think it. He knows every terrible thing we say before we say it. He knows how we will fail him next week and next year. He knows our failures as we are committing them, as we are committing those failures. He doesn't overlook them, and he doesn't want us to overlook them. He wants us to confess our sins, not cover them up. I love that. Be real. Be real. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And that's written to believers. the point is you're not getting saved again what you're doing is agreeing with God that you failed you know how I know every one of you has failed God because every one of you is a sinner and I fail God on a regular basis Mary reminds me often but God says and Randy and Peter you tell them i got a message for them. Here's kind of a summary statement, and then we'll get into it. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is one of my favorite verses. The Bible says, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And in Greek, what it means is you get a new set of eyes. You don't see things the way you used to. They're different. When I got saved at age 16, I went back into my home, and nobody in my home was a Christian. Two brothers, mom and dad. Not, n- not believers. My mom went to church. But my, my dad and my two brothers never went. and I got saved. I went back in that home, but I'm not looking at them the same anymore. Now, Did I witness to them in a, in a positive, affirming way? No. I was a jerk. You know, you're all going to hell. You realize that, don't you? Is that what you want to hear from somebody? In a compassionate, kind way, you want to teach that. But you don't tell your father, who's John Wayne to me. Well, by the way, Dad, you're going to hell. Not if you wanted to survive that particular day. I had to learn I had to grow I wasn't doing it the way you, I wasn't speaking the truth in love I thought I might be but I wasn't I had to learn so Second Corinthians five seventeen, you get a new set of eyes see in Christ you are forgiven but you're not perfect you're going to fail in Christ you are called by God chosen by God to serve him but you're not perfect You're commissioned by Jesus Christ Himself to go into all the world, make disciples. But you're not perfect. If we're waiting for the perfect person to do all the work, guess how much work is going to get done? None. Because none of us are perfect. We're going to fail. We're going to let Him down. So let's begin. Look at point one on your handout. You're going to fail God. Point one is Jesus knows that. He knows you're going to fail. Hey, He loves you anyway. Aren't you glad? (laughs) He saved you anyway. He got he got something for you to do anyway. He knows. The context of what we're going to see is Jesus' specific, specific, and special word of encouragement to Peter, who was a miserable failure that weekend. Look at Mark chapter sixteen, verse one. When the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene. This is Sunday morning when Jesus rose from the dead. The Sabbath was past. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought bought spices that they might come and anoint Jesus. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, Sunday, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen and they said among themselves who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us where Jesus had been entombed. But when they looked up they saw that the stone had been rolled away. It was very large. And entering the tomb they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. And one, they were alarmed that Who moved that stone? And then they walked in there, and there's a young man sitting there. And he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen, exclamation point. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. This angel in the tomb, his message to them, notice his message, which is our message for today. You go tell his disciples, he's not here, he's risen, and Peter, that he's going before you into Galilee, there you will see him as he said to you. Jesus had been murdered, crucified, they come to anoint the body of a dead man, Jewish ritual, and the angel says, he's not here, he rose from the dead. By the way, he told you he would do that. And you make sure you tell his disciples and Peter. I get goosebumps again, just reading it, saying it, and Peter. Jesus went out of his way to have the angel make sure they know specifically to tell Peter, I've risen from the dead. Because how is Peter feeling at this moment in time? We mentioned earlier, he could not have been any lower. He had let down his Savior, the one he thought was the Messiah. He'd let him down miserably, cursed him, wasn't bold enough even in front of a little servant girl at the fire to say, I knew him. He was a miserable failure. And Jesus said, Be sure, be sure. You tell Peter. The greatest message, maybe in angels, that other than good tidings, Jesus is crucified, he's risen, he's not here. You go and you make sure you tell Peter. So, the point one, Jesus knows about our failures. Number one, or point one, bullet point under that, number one, he knows about them before they happen. Look at Mark chapter 14. Just back up a little bit. Mark 14, verse 27. Fourteen twenty-seven. Jesus with the disciples, and he said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. All of you are going to flee and let me down. Leave me alone. But after I've been raised from the dead, I will go before you to Galilee. Remember, the angel just said that. To Galilee. And notice 29, verse 29. Peter said to Jesus, even if all are made to stumble, I won't. See, Peter, he's just like some of us, isn't he? Look, Jesus, the rest of these clowns may let you down. I got your back. You count on me. All the rest of them may stumble and let you down not me baby he's writing a check he ain't going to be able to cash back to Mark 14 verse 30 Jesus said to Peter surely I say to you that today today this night before the rooster crows twice you will deny me three times but he Peter spoke more vehemently If I have to die with you, I will not deny you! Exclamation point. And everybody joined in with Peter and said what? We're right there with you, baby. Kind of a mob mentality. We got to die, we'll die. Did they mean it? No. No, they weren't ready. They weren't ready to make that commitment. By the way, Jesus had told them that's probably what it's going to take. If you're going to follow me, Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me? If you lived under the Roman culture in the first century, if you picked up a cross, what was going to happen to you? You were going to be crucified, and you were carrying your own instrument of death. That's what Jesus said. You want to follow me? And and I love that in John 6, I love that passage, because the very next verse said this. Many followed him no more. Jesus raised the bar, and they said, No, I can't limbo under that one. I can't get over that one. I'm not, I'm not dying they weren't ready yet but they're going to get there after the resurrection heading toward Pentecost we'll see what happens so Jesus knew about, knows about our failures before they happen Jesus said Every, you're all going to abandon me and Peter proudly and boldly asserts not me you all agree and Jesus in his omniscience said no you will Look there on your outline. It's Luke 22. Jesus knows about them not only before they happen, but as they happen. This is one of the most poignant passages, I think, in all the Gospels, looking at the life of Jesus Christ. As they happen, Luke 22. Having arrested Jesus, they led him, and they brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. When they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and they sat down together, Peter said among them, And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him, at Peter, and said, This man was also with Jesus. But Peter denied Jesus, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And after a little while, another one saw him and said, You also are one of them. Peter said, Man, I am not. And after about an hour passed, another, third one now, confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow was also with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter said, man, I don't know what you're saying. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Pause. You're in Peter's sandals. When he heard that rooster crow, what did he feel? Probably the same thing you're feeling. I'm holding back tears thinking about this. Jesus said, tonight, you're going to deny. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me repeatedly. And literally it happens. Now look at verse 61. We weren't crying a moment ago. Get ready. The Lord turned and he looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter went out and wept bitterly. That's what led me to do this sermon, that phrase right there. Peter denies Jesus, and he looks up, and who's looking at him? Jesus is. Man. You ever feel that way? I can tell you honestly, there are many times on a Sunday morning when I'm sitting back in the back, what we call the cove here in Arlington, getting ready to go up and open the word of God. And in my heart, it's like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Stand up in front of these people and say, thus saith the Lord. You did this this week. You fought this. You did this. It's all real. We see, I'm forgiven. perfect. Not perfect. Amen. Not perfect. Do I want to be perfect? Absolutely. But I'm not. Neither are you. And the Bible makes it clear. You just cannot give up. You have to persevere and own your mistakes. Own them. Okay, you're not perfect. Guess what? Nobody else has ever walked the planet. Is only Jesus of Nazareth was. That's why he's your savior, not yourself. That's right. You're forgiven. You're called. You're chosen. You're commissioned. Not perfect. Jesus sees Peter, looks at him as he's denying Peter goes out. He remembers, and he goes out and he weeps bitterly. And then you get back, to, go back to Mark sixteen, verse seven again. Today's sermon title, Jesus Knows About Your Failures After They Happen. One of the most exciting things about understanding being a Christian is when Jesus says to you, anyone who comes unto me, you come unto me, if you, if you labor in your heavy, if you're heavy burden, I will give you what? Rest. He also said in another place, no one will be able to snatch you out of my hand. In the Great Commission, the last thing he said before he left the planet, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples of me, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Make disciples of me, and I will be with you always. Always. I'm not real smart, but always means what? So when I let Jesus down, like Peter did, when I failed Jesus, like Peter did, what does Jesus say to me? I see you. I know, but i got something for you. You're mine. You're forgiven. Get up and get back in the game. Don't give up. See, here's what Satan wants for you. Assuming you're a believer, you're born again, you know Christ as your Savior, you're a Christian. Here's what Satan wants for you. Be as religious as you want to be. Do whatever you want to do, church stuff. That's cool. Do it. He loves religion. But don't make disciples. Don't go out of your way to share the gospel with anyone. Don't go out of your way to help someone through a tough time so they can follow Jesus. Just be religious. Do whatever you want to do. But let's don't talk about Jesus stuff. Let's don't do that. Because that's embarrassing. One of the things God gave me, and of course, he knew about me before he ever made me, and he made me anyway, which is, I'm glad. One thing he gave me was a goofy personality, and those of you who know me know that's my spiritual gift, goofiness. From the moment I was saved at age 16, I never hesitated to talk to only one person on the planet that I've struggled to talk to about Jesus, and that was my dad. I don't know why, but it would get stuck right here. I just couldn't do it. My dad was John Wayne to me. I couldn't do it. Didn't have a good relationship, no relationship really with him until the last year and a half of his life when he got Lou Gehrig's disease and he knew he was going to die. And I knew he was going to die. And we finally talked about Jesus and fighting in World War II and all the things I wanted to talk to my dad about. It was a great time watching him die. Hard to believe, isn't it? Because I knew for the first time we were having real communication. Amen. I never had any with my father growing up. Never. But I did that the year and a half. And we'd had some the prior eight or nine years. It had gotten much better. He had quit drinking, and we had a good relationship. But I still couldn't talk to him about Jesus until I knew he was going to die. Do you know anybody that's not going to die? Let me give you a math lesson. The ratio of those that die is one to one. I did a funeral Friday for a 39-year-old young man. You look at him, you think, "That's really a healthy, strapping." He was a big outdoorsman, loved to fish. He took some drugs and he OD'd, and he was gone. Gone at 39. I don't know whether the young man was a believer or not. But I knew his family and I loved them. and I got to do the funeral for him. See, I can share with people, and I did. Out of the 200 or so people that were at that funeral, I knew four people that go to Arlington. Four. And their kids. The rest of the people in that room, I was a total stranger to them. But I can still share the gospel with them, can I? Amen. I can still love them. I'd still be interested in their eternal destiny. Why? Because Jesus died for them. He loves them. I got to love them. I ain't know them. But I know Jesus told me, you go into all the world. Wherever you are, you make disciples. As they happen, Jesus knows. And then after they happen, be sure Peter knows. Second point on your handout. And this is probably the most important to constantly remind yourself. Number one, you're going to fail and Jesus knows it. Number two, he loves you anyway. Right. He loves you and it will never change despite your failures. He knows all about them before you commit them, while you're committing them. And then when you get done committing them, get where is he? Same place. Holy Spirit doesn't come inside you and then leave one day. He's still there with you. Even while you're failing him, he's there with you in the middle of it. Sometimes convicting and you ain't paying attention. I'm talking to myself now. Sometimes convincing you and you know it's wrong, you still do it anyway. Because you're not perfect. You're forgiven. You're his child. How many of you have children or grandchildren? Okay, put all your hands down, most of how many of you have a child or a grandchild that's ever let you down? How many of you have adult children? How many of those adult children have let you down on a regular basis? <laughs> my son and I, every conversation is, "What the is wrong with you? You're 36 years old. It's time to grow up. I was so hurt recently by a decision my daughter made. Incredibly intelligent young lady, even in her mid 40s. Dumb decision. I still love her and I want God's best for her. Amen. But it's hurt our relationship. I got to keep working at it. Got to keep working at it. Why? Because God says, don't give up. Do not give up. You persevere. Jesus loves you despite your failures, He knows them. That same pastor that I quoted earlier, I want to quote again in this particular area. Think about Peter again. If You think back through history, anybody on a one-on-one relationship ever let Jesus down as badly as Peter did? No. Quote, it would be hard to conceive of a way of blowing it worse than Peter did. He'd spent three years almost constantly in the presence of Jesus. He had heard Jesus teach, He had seen him perform miracles. He was the inner circle of the twelve. He'd been in the room when Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. He had seen Jesus and his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. Just meditate on that one for a second. My God, he takes him on the Mount of Transfiguration and allows them to see his glory. You can't follow that guy. Sin's tough master, isn't it? Mount of Transfiguration. And if Jesus ever needed the support of human friends, it was during the dark night of Gethsemane, and the events that follow, to make matters worse, Peter knew. And this is very contextual for today. To make matters worse, Peter knew that the last words Jesus had heard him speak were words of denial. I don't know him. During Christ's moment of need, it's an awful thing to live with the memory that your last words to a loved one were not what you wanted them to be. Peter spent a dark Saturday with the memory that the final words Jesus heard him speak, were words of awful denial. Yet Jesus loved him anyway, didn't he? Amen. He didn't turn his back on him. He didn't abandon him. Well, hang with me, we're almost halfway. No, we're almost done. Jesus' love is greater than your failures. Romans said, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. For us, Paul writes. John, 1 John says this, in this the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or satisfaction for our sins. He took our judgment. That's what it means. Beloved, if God so loved us we also ought to love one another. you ever found anybody that you're close to that's hard to love? You got any in-laws sometimes you struggle with? Or friends? Or people you go to church with? Or pastors? Sometimes it's hard to love people. Some of us make it hard to be loved. What does God say? I loved you, you ought to do what? Jesus said, if you got enemies, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love them. I want you to pray for them. I want you to ask God to bless them. Wait a minute, Jesus, we're going a little too far here now. Come on. Do it. Jesus' love is greater than our failures. Jesus' love, finally, at this point, is grace in action. He personally appeared to Peter after this. in Luke. Chapter 24, the story of the two disciples on the Emmaus Road is there on your outline. It said they rose up that very hour, the disciples on the Emmaus Road. They returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And Simon is Peter. Those two disciples on the Emmaus Road. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It said Jesus did not first make himself known to them at first. And then he sat out with them and he took the scriptures, the Old Testament, and he went through the entire Old Testament and showed them everything referencing him. Wouldn't you like to be in on that Bible study? You'd have probably paid fifty bucks to, send, uh, to attend that one. Jesus, the Son of God, is going to say, "Okay, here in Numbers, that's me on the pole. Uh, here, in the Ark of the Covenant, that's me. Uh, here with the seed uh, with Adam, uh, to Satan in the Garden of Eden, that's me." On and on and on and on, taking the scriptures, which to the Jew was the Old Testament, and saying, "It's about me. It's about me. It's about me." And then he, by the way, he let them know, I've also appeared to Peter. That's all we know about it. Jesus went out of his way after all Peter had done. We're not even to the restoration yet. He went out of his way after everything Peter had done to personally appear to Peter and say, we don't know exactly what he said, but basically he probably said, hey, I told you I'd come back and I'm here because. Savior. So then he personally restores Peter. Again there on your outline John you know the story well. It says after the resurrection so when the disciples had eaten breakfast Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon son of Jonah do you love me more than these other people? Peter said yes Lord you know I love you Jesus said to him feed my sheep my lambs. He said to him a second time Simon son of Jonah do you love me? He said to him, Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now here's the point. It says he was grieved. Remember, when Jesus said to him the third time, what was Peter thinking at that moment? I denied him three times. He was also thinking, he said, you know all things. What was he thinking? You told me I would deny you before I ever did it. And yet, you still love me, and you still want me to feed your sheep? This is the coolest thing. Look at point three. Jesus uses our failures. Amen. He uses them to teach us. There's an old saying preacher, I read years ago and I never forgotten it. And it's, it meant, it's meant a lot to me. I don't even know who the preacher was that said it, but I wrote the quote down in my study Bible. It said, God never wastes a hurt. Some of you have gone through some very difficult times, maybe are going through them right now. God never wastes those. He wants to use those to glorify himself, and to point other people to the Jesus that you serve. As a Christian, he never wastes a hurt. Talk about my dad earlier dying of Lou Gehrig's disease, and it's a horrible way to die. If you've ever known anyone or been around anyone that died of that disease, especially a big, strong man who just deteriorates to the point, it's like, would you pick my foot up? Would you clip my toenails? Would you move my hand so I can and then you get to the point where you can't do anything, and it hits that diaphragm, and you're gone. Horrible way to die because mentally you're still there. But God took that hurt and allowed my dad, allowed me to share Jesus with my dad because of that hurt. He doesn't waste them; he uses our failures to teach us, to teach others. What did, how did the Apostle Paul describe himself when it came to sin? The apostle Paul, not Peter, Paul. I'm chief among sinners. Chief would be like number one. He was honest. I love that pastor he said, what I want to do, I don't do. What I do want to do, I don't do. What I don't do want do, to do. do, that's what I end up doing. In other words, I'm just like everybody else. I'm a sinner. I've been saved. I've been called, commissioned, and challenged to go do something. He teaches you. He teaches others. Right there on your handout, it's just so cool. You fast forward 50 days or so to Pentecost, the day the church began, the day the Holy Spirit fell, the beginning of the church age, which we're still in, will be until Jesus comes back. Who was the guy that preached the sermon on the day of Pentecost? What was his name? Peter. Peter. Think about that. If they'd had a church and got together with a committee and a group and voted on who we're going to have preach the sermon today, would he have been at the top of the list? Would he have been at the bottom of the list? He wouldn't even have been on the list. But God said, Jesus said, I need you to feed my sheep, tend my lambs. Okay, you're not perfect. Nobody else is either. I saved you, I called you, I commissioned you, now you go do what I tell you to do. You feed my sheep. And on the day of Pentecost, he preached that incredible sermon. Thousands were saved. Began the movement that the Bible says, and history says, turned the world upside down. The early church. So bottom of your handout. Have you ever failed God? You have, and you will. You're forgiven. (coughs) You're forgiven, not perfect. So surrender the past. Don't live in the past. The pastor, I read this week—excuse me, a few weeks ago—said this quote: "Most people are stuck in the past. They've got grief, they've got guilt, and they've got grudges, habits, hurts, and hang-ups. They can't get on with the present because they're stuck in the past." If Peter was stuck in the past, would he have been of any good to Jesus on the day of Pentecost? No. Surrender the past. You are forgiven. If there's somebody you're gonna make something right with, you do it. But you're forgiven, and start over in the present. Every day, opportunities. Book of Isaiah says this. God says, "Come now, let's settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will be like wool. You are saved. You are forgiven." Live like it on a daily basis. Not perfect. Forgiven. And then step into the future, excited about what God has for you. I'll share this story with you, and then I'm going to be done. I'm trying to be like Brother John. We're going to finish early. I'll be proud of it. I'll share this true, share this true story with you. New Year's Day. 1929, right after I was born, 1929, Georgia Tech played the University of California, Berkeley in the Rose Bowl, past the name of that famous game. It was a guy named Roy Regals who played for California, he recovered a fumble, he got confused and he started running in the wrong direction, ran 65 yards in the wrong direction in the process of going to score for Georgia Tech. One of his teammates ran after him and tackled him before he could score for the other team. And then the question became, what in the world is Coach Price, this happened in the first half of that game, what in the world is Coach Price gonna do with Roy Regals in the second half? And by the way, Roy Regals was All-American center for the University of California, considered the best offensive lineman in America. What are we going to do with him in the second half? So they go in the locker room, and everybody's all, you know, normally in locker rooms, like the coach is screaming yelling. yelling. Bobby Knight, he's throwing chairs at people. Whatever's going on. They're in the locker room, and he's trying to get their attention to go back in the second half and, and be what we need to be. Win this game. They're all sitting in different places, and no one's really saying anything. And Roy Riggles is over by himself in the corner, and he's got a blanket over his head. He's embarrassed, crying, hurt. So the coach goes over to him, crying like a baby, Regals is. The coach stands up and he tells the team, team, whoever started the first half is starting the second half. So they all get up, head back for the field. There's Nobody in the locker room now but Coach Price and Roy Regals. <coughs> coach goes over, sits down, puts his arm around and said, Roy, I said you're starting the second half. And get out there. He said, Coach, I've embarrassed you. I've embarrassed the university. Embarrassed my family. I've embarrassed myself. I can't go back out there. And he said, Riggles, this game is half over. You get back out there. This game's half over. I want to show you something really cool. They said the second half, he played like a wild man. If he blocked you, you stayed blocked. Played like a crazy man. They still lost the game because what had happened: his teammate tackled him, and then Georgia Tech blocked their punt and kicked a field goal, and ended up winning by one point. Now, so everything didn't turn out great, but he got the message. So you let the team down, and get back in the game, and Peter, Jesus never gave up on it. We'll not give up on you, no matter how you're failing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for scripture. We thank you for so many truths that we see and learn. And I pray we'd apply them, Father, do them, make them part of who we are, that we would understand our frailties, that you know about them in advance, you know about them now, you know about them in the future. But you didn't save us to sit and do nothing. You saved us to serve some capacity for the kingdom whatever it might be they're all important so I pray father beginning with Randy and with all of us who would simply be motivated convicted where needed but convinced that Jesus is the way the truth and the life and we would share the gospel with our world in whatever way and opportunity we get we pray in Jesus name amen please stand while we